evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore and I'm excited to be with you tonight. I know several of you were praying before we, uh, before we got on the call around 8.30 or so and I appreciate you so much. Um, I tell you what, God is moving in the earth today and and I'm really just grateful to be a part of it, just a part of what he's doing in the in the earth and in the body of Christ. So I want to thank you. If this is your first time joining us this evening, I want to extend a personal welcome and thank you for sharing your time with us. There are many things you could be doing. There are many things on social media, lots of things going live, lots of word, lots of information, lots of worship going out so that you would take the time and make the decision to spend it here with us for the next few minutes. I don't take it lightly, and I appreciate it so much. If this is your first time, how this flows is simply this. Um, Basically, uh, I'll make some remarks. We'll open in prayer. We'll teach on a kingdom principle or concept. And then we will pray uh, the words that have been taught. We'll pray the scripture because we believe that God honors his word. And so we like to pray the scripture that has been spoken so it gives God an opportunity. It's like laying train tracks that God can come and run on the tracks because he's so familiar with them because they are his word and he cannot deny himself. And so that's what we do on the call. A couple of uh, announcements. We are still gung-ho for jumping for joy. Uh, as with everyone else, we are heeding uh, the uh, advice of our president, and that is to shut in and, you know, uh, to go out as necessary, but pretty much stick close to home and as a way of impeding and stopping this virus that so many of us have already declared defeated and dethroned. Uh, And uh, as it makes its way out of population, um, we are going to continue to support our president and the things that he has asked us to do. And I know different states are doing different things, and so we want to honor and support that. But Jumping for Joy is alive and well. We will continue to go to every state and U.S. territory uh, in this nation to declare kingdom marriage, uh, and um, we're just going to keep doing it. We've been to a handful of states already. We were due to go to Tennessee this month, uh, and next month we are scheduled to be in Maryland, Washington, and D.C., And hopefully we'll circle back and pick up Tennessee in May. So you can pray with us toward that particular end. Uh, A couple of you have asked about uh, cost and how how do you do that and all that. We are working on that now, and we will get that out to those of you who are interested in that information. We covet your prayers. We can't do this without you. We need you to pray um, and just believe with us that the divine reset is taking place in marriage. You know, at the onset of the uh, coronavirus, I did a Facebook Live and I said, you know, as we are concerned and many of the schools are getting food to the, excuse me, are getting food to the families, let's not forget husbands and wives because husbands and wives are living in a condensed space, a bubble. And for husbands and wives who are not used to living that close together round the clock, um, it's very easy uh, to become frustrated, short patience fuses, 
And listen, whatever was there before this condensation, whatever was there before the bubble, it just intensifies uh, when the bubble is there. And I had said that we need to be concerned about this. And then a couple days ago, uh, I received an article in which um, four days into this self-quarantine, the uh, calls, the calls to, to domestic violence centers had increased uh, during this uh, bubble, during this coronavirus. And as I said, everything intensifies when it's in a smaller space. Um, and so what intensifies the quickest are those old, unresolved um, conflicts that we have in relationship with each other. It's almost like whatever was a problem before you got married, do you notice that it just amplifies after you get married? You might have overlooked it when you weren't married, but after you get married and you get into this thing for a little while, the things that were just minor when you were dating are now major things, or the things that attracted you to the sp your spouse are now the very things that irritate you with your spouse. And there's a reason for that, and, that's not, and, and we won't deal with that tonight, but I want to just say that to say that when conflict is not addressed, when it's swept under the rug, uh, when it's avoided, um, uh, when we go out to work or when the kids are going, when, when life is in regular motion, many things get overlooked, avoided, or we just displace our frustration or put it into our work, our sports, our kids' activities. But we're not able to do that right now. And so we pray in the name of Jesus for every husband and wife that is experiencing the frustration of being squeezed together in a small place and, Lord, even as you call, Lord, you're even allowing these things to erupt. You know, the picture I see is, and this is kind of graphic, but you'll get the point. You know, you have one of those pimples on your face, and it irritates you. And it just gets so full of stuff that, you know, when you touch it, it just kind of hurts. But when it's released, there is just a, a the, the pain almost immediately goes away. And so I believe that even... Although God did not cause this virus, I don't believe. I do believe that he will use it and cause it to work together for husbands and wives' good, and that if we can learn how to manage the conflict, if we can develop the right answers to the conflict, we can take some of the pain that husbands and wives have been experiencing. So it's no coincidence to me that for the past three or four weeks, we've been talking about conflict on this call, and tonight, we are going to talk about the third question um, that, that arises in conflict. But I would say this to you, that conflict will continue to increase in the marriage relationship. I don't wish it to increase. I don't want it to increase, but it will increase, and there's two reasons it's going to increase. One, we are in a divinely orchestrated reset in this nation. And with that, and it, it, this crisis is precipitating us, but with crises becomes opportunity. And what's the opportunity for husbands and wives? It's to bring our thoughts and actions as kingdom citizens into alignment with Christ and his, and, and his word. And so the disruption, the frustration, the things husbands and wives are experiencing is not intended to destroy them, but it's rather that we can bring ourselves to the light, to come into alignment. And the Bible says, when our ways please him, he will make even those at odds with us to be at peace with us. So as we come into this alignment, God can then bring all things that pertain to us 
and bring them into peace. And I don't know how he does it, and he doesn't do it the same way all the time, and it may look different for each person, but what I know is the word of God is true. And he said that when we come into alignment with him, when our ways, the way we are doing things pleases him, he will make those at odds with us to be at peace with us. The second reason marital conflict will is likely to increase is this, and I say this each week, and I'll, keep, I'll say it for the benefit of those who are on the call for the first time, um, you know, conflict, it, 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 it's, it's a kingdom concept right now as we, as we carry out his will in the earth, and that is to rule the earth. And that conflict is God's request for something you have so that he can release more of himself, that is more of his authority, more of his power, more of his love into your soul. Oh, you have the download in your spirit. The problem is there is a disconnect oftentimes between our soul and our spirit, and conflict is an opportunity for God to show us where that disconnect is so that we reconnect and so that all that is in him that pertains to life and godliness and the purpose for which each one of us are created can now flow and we can fulfill our individual and marital destinies in the earth. You know, the Bible says it's not what goes into us that defiles us, rather it's what comes from us. So it's not what your spouse is doing so much, but it's your response to what he's doing that, that moves you out of conflict or changes the situation or keeps you into it. So Part of being a kingdom citizen is knowing when and how to take your sticks out of the fire so it will go out. And I believe that's what God wants to help us to learn how to do and what kingdom marriage and kingdom citizens are learning how to do. Um, So let's just jump in. Let's pray. And then we'll just jump in uh, to tonight. Uh, and answer that third question. Father, we just thank you tonight for who you are. We thank you for all of those on the line tonight, Father. We thank you for every husband and wife that is represented. We thank you for every person that's standing in, whether they're married, unmarried, widowed, divorced, want to be married, every person that is standing in for another husband and wife, God, we honor that, and we ask you to honor that. For even as you stood in the gap for us, Lord, we stand in the gap. For as we have seen you do, so now we do. And, Lord, we intercede as you have interceded for us. For, Lord, we just thank and we praise you for the opportunity to hear and to receive your word. And, Lord, that it will become so much a part of our lives, God, that we will begin to live it and speak it. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray tonight, God, that you give every hearer, whether by replay or live, you would give them seeing eyes, hearing ears, and an understanding heart. For you said that it's your responsibility to give seeing eyes and hearing ears. And so, Father, we ask you to pull back the foreskin of the heart of your people, that they would hear your word afresh as it is applied to marriage, God that your kingdom would rule in the earth as you intended it to do, God. I thank you and I praise you for every husband and wife, the purpose for which they've been created, and I declare that there will be no premature death. I pray that each one that receives your word would go on and grow on to fulfill your destiny and all of the benefits and blessings that go along with it, God. We pray that you release them even as they conform to your will and your word in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, we said we've been saying the past few weeks we talked about there are three questions that conflict asks of us that arise in conflict, and I would so much to say most of your life will revolve around these three questions. We're talking about it as it relates to marriage, but these are kingdom questions. They have kingdom answers, and that means they are applicable to every human being that professes Christ. They are applicable to every relationship, starting with marriage, then in family, then our communities, then our church. So these three questions your church will have to contend with every single time. Our nation is contending with these three questions right now. They are so universal that even those that don't believe in Christ are contending with these questions. And if I were to tell you that most of the questions that you are asked in your life come down to one of these three questions, it would make life amazingly simple. Listen, the gospel is simple. We complicate. Marriage is not as difficult as we make it. Let me do say this. It is hard. It is hard work. It is not hard work. It's, uh, let me put it this way. It is hard work in that it is heart work, which is different than just physical work. Heart work is oftentimes harder than physical work. That's why husbands and wives will run off to work before they'll have a, an intimate, serious conversation that leaves either one of them vulnerable because vulnerability is heart work, and that makes it hard work. That's another day. Let me get to the three questions. The three questions are about revealing and establishing who and what one is and who they serve. The three questions are these. To whom do you belong? Who are you? And who do you worship? It's interesting that conflict always involves our mouths. Even when I'm not, I know there are couples that say we've never argued, and I hear you. I, I hear you, and, and that, may be, that may be so. But do you know we are speaking even we're speaking even when we're not using our mouths, we're still speaking. I know so because I remember, and I, I remember years ago when I was married and my husband and I were arguing, we thought we were arguing out of earshot and we weren't even talking, we weren't screamers or anything like that. But I remember my, young, my oldest daughter uh, just got on, got you know, she she just got on the toilet and started raising her voice and just singing, and just you know, I mean, I mean, singing, humming, just noise. It was like she was this noise cancel as can't, you know, how they have those um, noise cancellation machines that you put in your rooms or you know, counselors will put in our office, kind of just to to fray the noise and to keep the privacy. And what I realized is that. Our children react to us. So even if you're not verbally arguing, please understand, your kids know when you are at odds with each other. And we might be naive, but they are not naive. Why? Because they still are connected to our spirit. And when there's a hiccup or a ripple in our spirit, those that are closest to us feel. That's why some of you don't even, you can walk in your house, and, and even before you get home, when you get close to your house, you know that your spouse is upset about something. You haven't talked to them, but something in you gets tripped, and you know before they ever say anything to you. Why? Because you're spiritually connected. So what affects one necessarily will affect the other. But our mouths are important because it's with our mouths that we establish who we are. It's our mouths how we establish the kingdom of God. We are actually speaking spirits that have physical bodies 
that our voice can translate into the earth because we've been given to rule the earth. So marital conflict asks husbands and wives to use their mouths to answer the, those three questions that I gave you. And again, if you've missed the first two, we spent a lot of time talking about the first one. We answered these questions. And relationship to uh, Matthew 4, uh, where Jesus was tempted three times, and that same temptation is repeated in uh, that's the account of that temp- temptation, Luke also repeats in Luke 4 as well. So these whole, this whole piece about conflict and the questions we ask go back to uh, Matthew 4, uh, 1 through 11, uh, yeah, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and I think it's Luke 4, um, 4, 8 through 13, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, or 1 through 13, but that's where these questions are. Now, do me a favor, because this will help you understand what I'm going to say. If you have a pencil, do, do me a favor, because this will, this will make, help make easier when you hear me say these things as we go back and read these scriptures. So on your paper, make three columns real quickly. Just make three columns if you're doing by paper. And I didn't ask you to have a paper here, so um, if you don't, that's okay. You can go back and listen and and write these down. But I, I think this is interesting. And I've said this the last three weeks, but I think it will help if I say that now. So in the first column, write body. In the second column, write soul. And in the third column, write spirit. So body, soul, and spirit. We are spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. We, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and live in a, in, in a body. And so underneath, in column one, underneath body, write lust of the flesh, And in the second column under soul, write lust of the eyes. And in the third column, write pride of life. That's from 1 John 2.16. And then the third thing, write two more lines. The third thing you're going to write, so body, lust of the flesh. Then the third line you're going to write under body, steal. In the second column, you're going to write kill. And in the third column, you're going to write destroy. And in the last, and that comes from John 10:10. And then in the the, last, the fourth one, and we could go on. I'm just giving you four here, but we could do this all night with all with different things. The fourth thing you're going to write under body is faith. Under soul, you're going to write hope. And in this, under the spirit, you're going to write love. That comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which says faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I want you to watch something here because we've been reading Matthew 4, and we said the first question is about to whom do you belong? Who does your body belong to? Jesus was tempted with food. Because he was hungry. He had a legitimate desire for food. He was hungry. His, his, his body was hungering for food. He was craving it. He hadn't eaten. And so that is that plays out. So Satan took advantage of his hunger. And sometimes our, need, our hungers are legitimate and sometimes they're inordinate. Either way, Satan 
is interested in stealing your body. And the reason why he needs your body is because he needs a body to conduct business in the earth. So how does he get your body? He gets it through your hunger, through your craving. He gets it through sickness and disease. He gets your body. He gets it. <clears throat> he gets it by getting you to give into your body appetites. And then he tries to. Uh, and then we. And, and so, what do we need for our body? We need faith. So when when Jesus died, the Bible says in Romans that he died. We died with him in his body, and we have been delivered from the body of sin. And so again, these are things all in themselves, but you need faith to receive and to give your body to God. And so that's what we're doing. Kingdom is about giving your body back to God. And then the soul, and Jesus, and so Jesus was tempted with the bread. And the soul, remember we did this last week, who are you? The soul is about where you get your significance from. And we get our significance from the things we see or perceive that we want or think that are important or we assign an importance to them. But it has to do with your eyes. It has to do with what you see. It has to do with what you think about what you see because the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. And so Satan comes to kill. He comes to kill your soul. He comes to kill your, your ability to think like God, to Think as a kingdom citizen. He wants you to think naturally. He wants you to place your significance in anything and anyone other than God. He wants to kill your soul. He wants to, he wants to take away your ability to hope. And so when we talk about Jesus, what was he tempted with in this, in this piece of conflict? Well, in Matthew it says, that Jesus, uh, that Satan took him up to uh, on the, the top of the temple. And he said, throw yourself down. In other words, is your significant, and remember, he was on top of the temple. So people were as people go into the temple. So he was sitting above the people. He was in a position of authority on top of the temple. And he's like, look, all these people are looking. Throw yourself down. And surely God will give his angels charge over you. He just didn't give him the whole scripture. But what he was playing on is Jesus' desire, God-given desire for significance. For significance. And Jesus responded to him. And then tonight we're going to talk about the spirit. Satan comes to destroy your spiritual relationship with God. If he can get you to worship any other God, then he is a effectively destroyed your relationship with God. And thank God we have Jesus, the advocate and high priest, for even when we fall and have found that we have worshipped another God or made something an idol, we can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us. So the spirit is about pride. He's after your pride and we're all proud about something. And so Satan comes to try and expose the area that we're pride, he try, the area that we're proud, so that he can destroy our relationship and our worship with God, and our affections and our love. Pride has to do with what you love. 
because you will not leave what you love. And so I wanted you to see all of that because if you wrote them down in those columns, you'll see it's very systematic. There's no guessing game here. So when something comes to you conflicting or in marital conflict, these things are what is at work. And the thing is, you and I have an answer for them already. So now let's go back, that you have that. And now let's go back and just look at this last question and try to do that real, real quickly, and then we will pray. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we go. Let me go back up here. Um, give me one second. Uh, here we are. Okay, here we are. Okay. So, two, two. Okay, here we go. So, before we get before we read the scripture in Matthew four, I want I want to just say a couple of things here. So again, we're in the same place. So you have that diagram. And we're on the spiritual, those four in the spirit column, the spiritual column. And here are a few things you have to keep in mind. I say it each week, but for those of you who are on the phone for the first time or on this call for the first time, let me say it again. God always, not sometimes, not maybe, well, maybe in this case, he always speaks and acts from a kingdom perspective. He does not speak from an earthly perspective. That's why sometimes we don't understand completely what Jesus is saying because Jesus always had the kingdom in mind because that's what the Father had in mind. And so when we develop this kingdom mindset and this mentality, we too will begin to see and think uh, in terms of the kingdom and some of the skirmishes and conflicts and dissension that arises from us, it arises because we are thinking humanistically and not from the kingdom's perspective. It's a, different, it's a different way of thinking and behaving, and it's at odds with natural human worldly thinking. James 3.13 and 18 says it this way. It distinguishes kingdom thinking. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living like an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. It's not kingdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy, selfish ambition, there, will, there you will find disorder, and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above, he's talking about kingdom now, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That God is always about his kingdom. He's always about expansion. He's always about growth and multiplication. And one of the challenges in marriage and the frustration of husbands and wives, there's really true no, there's truly, there, in many cases, there's no multiplication other than our children, which are major but God wants husbands and wives to grow, expand, and multiply. And children are a piece of it, 
But there are other assignments that some husbands and wives, that God has given some husbands and wives, and he expects us to grow and to use the gifts and talents, skills and abilities to multiply the population of his kingdom on earth and to establish his influence in our circles that he has assigned us to to walk, to lead, to guide, and to support people. Secondly, Jesus was tempted in every manner that we are without sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's our response to it that either results in sin or not. So just because you're tempted, you have not sinned. It's what you do with it that determines whether it's sin or not. So the temptations and three questions that arise in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 cover every temptation that you or I will ever experience. A temptation is more than the apple that Adam and Eve ate. Satan attempts you to bite the apple, eat it, and pass it on to others. But here's the real deal. Temptation is a demand for identification. Temptation comes from the enemy. The Bible says God tempts no one. Temptation comes from the enemy, and it's a demand for identification. It wants to know who you belong to, who you are, and who do you serve. I know you say you're Christian, but here we are now. How are you speaking and acting, and who is it that you really are serving? It wants to know whether you will do God's will, perform God's will for your life, your way, or God's way. And the the question, the answers to the questions are more important than the temptation itself. And so it has to pass the test. It's having the right answer. And so we want to keep those things in mind when we look at the three things that Jesus was tempted about. And the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are. So that means that the three temptations here, um, not that he wasn't tempted in other places in Scripture, But these three temptations and the questions they ask are the foundation for every other temptation that you will ever experience in life. It has to be because the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, but he was without sin. So you may not find your particular sin or a sin that someone has done in Jesus' experience, but please understand that he was tempted in every way that we were. He was tempted in his body, he was tempted in his soul, and he was tempted in his spirit. And those are the only three ways you get tempted, in your body, your soul, or your spirit. Temptation begins in the mind. That's why it's important for husbands and wives to be a safe place for each other. And oftentimes, you know, that's just, that's just not the case. You know, sometimes husbands and wives are so religious that the mere mention of temptation is treated like the plague, it's like treated like sin. It's like if the husband or wife did sin because they're telling, you know, I'm really feeling tempted. I'm really struggling with this right now. I'm really struggling. You know, I've been home all day, and I'm really struggling not to get on my computer and look at some porn. I am struggling. I am working. Look, just pray. I mean, boy, if, if a husband or a wife admitted that in some home, they are so religious that they would bring out the oil. They would start rebuking the devil and everything else, and the husband or wife would never say anything ever again. Why? Because there's no safety in that relationship. There's no space for that person to be human. That person did not just admit a sin, they admitted a struggle. And we treat a struggle different than we treat sin. And so in many marriages, there's just no space for each one to show up 
And as soon as the spouse verbalizes a struggle, you know, some, some will just start speaking in tongues and, like I said, pulling out oil, casting out demons. It's like, who wants to show up in that environment? They're just trying to be human and you're trying to be deep. You know, I can't tell you over the years how many husbands have told me personally, and I've talked to hundreds of husbands over the years. I can't tell you. It would be interesting to do a stat on that, but I can't tell you how many husbands have told me they don't feel like they can be themselves around their wives. And I know there are wives that feel the same way. But let me just, let me just talk about the husbands right now. They say they don't feel like they can be their wives. And when I ask these husbands' wives, most of them say some version of this. My wife is holier than thou. Everything is a scripture. I can't even have a conversation without a scripture coming up, as well as its location. And so what I say to these husbands is this. You know what? Oftentimes, many of these wives are hiding their unlovely parts behind the word of God and want you to do the same. They're hiding. They're hiding. They're, they're, ask me how I know. Because I used to hide behind the word of God because my person, I didn't allow God to deal with who I was as a person, my shortcomings, my weaknesses, my struggles. I didn't want him, to, I didn't allow him. I thought I would be rejected by God if I allowed him to approach that heart work in marriage and, in, and personally, you know, because he's working on us whether we're married or not. But when you don't allow God to deal with you, then you will hide behind something. And when we are hiding behind the word, Jesus never hid behind the word. He became the word. That's the big difference. A kingdom citizens are keenly aware that they must become the word. It's not good enough just to speak the word. They must have first digested what they're delivering. And so I say to these husbands, you know what? We're just going to pray that God will give them the grace to also be able to show up and be honest in, 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 in the marriage relationship too. But both husbands and wives, we need, safe, we need safe space. We need safe people in our lives that we can show up and be human so that together we can see the glory of God change each one of us as we yield to one another. So the question I have for you, are you a safe place for your husband or wife? So now we can look at the last question. Here it is, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The uh, Passion Translation reads Luke 4, 8 through this way. The devil lifted Jesus high on the sky, into the sky, and in a flash showed him all the kingdoms and regions of the world. The devil then said to Jesus, all of this, all of this with all its power, authority, and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing, and you will have it all. Simply bow down to worship me, and it will be yours. You will possess everything. Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me, for it is written in scriptures, only one is worthy of your adoration. 
you will worship before the Lord your God and love him supremely. Supremely. So here's what we know from those scriptures in relationship to the question, who will you serve? There are kingdoms in the earth. We might today more aptly call them nations. We might have called them kingdoms uh, before, but more like them today, we might refer to these as nations. And they represent kingdoms. And each nation or each kingdom has authority, power, and a splendor of its own. And each one is designed to reflect some aspect of God's glory. Some do, some don't. Uh, and then number three, Satan is the god of this world. John 12, 31 says, from this moment on, everything in this world is about to change, for the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown. So the fact that the ruler will be overthrown, who is Satan, which means he is ruling now, which means the kingdoms, uh, except those that have called upon God and separated themselves and have become what some refer to as sheep nations, they are governed and ruled by Satan. They are his to get. He wasn't lying to Jesus. He is the ruler of this world, and all Jesus had to do was bow down and worship. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says this, none of the rulers of this present world, world order, understood it. For if they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of shining glory. So Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the god of this world. The nations, the kingdoms, you know, are his. We're taking back our nation. America, we are taking it back for God. We want the glory of God back in this nation. We want the glory of God, our originally intended purpose, to be realized in this nation, that God will be glorified and his kingdom expanded even through our influence. But as the ruler of this world, Satan, working through human ambassadors and the rulers of the nations, had the authority to give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Remember, in order for something to be a legitimate temptation, there has to be a real or at least a perceived ability to have what is being offered to you. So Satan had the legal right to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Secondly, when there is a temptation, you have to have the ability to perform what is being asked of you. Satan had the authority to give Jesus the nations, and Jesus also had the free willing, had the ability to bow down and worship Satan. He was free willing, free choosing agent on the earth. He chose to humble himself and to conform and become obedient even unto death. So he had the ability to bow, and Satan had the ability to give. And then next, for fulfilling his God-given purpose on earth, Jesus is giving, he is giving kingdom. So Satan was offering Jesus something that was already his, already intended to be his. Ephesians 1.10 says this, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. On earth, that includes the kingdoms of this world. That includes nations. And then in John, John in Revelation 11.15 says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So listen, Satan was offering Jesus what was already his. 
And so he was offering Jesus, uh, and Jesus knew that they were his, but here's how Satan sweetened the pot. He offered Jesus the prize without the price. He offered Jesus the prize without the price. All he had to do was bow down. All he had to do was change the affections of his love and his worship. All he had to do was choose Satan over God. All he had to do was make a decision. And that decision would be reflected in his bound. And so he offered Jesus the prize of obedience without the cost that it was required to obey God. See, the cost was Jesus' family. It was his friends. It was his reputation. It was his very position as, 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 as the Son of God, as the Trinity. He came as the Son of Man. And, he, and, it, and it, it hurt. He was going to experience excruciating physical and mental, emotional pain. He would experience what it was like to be separated from God, his, his Father, his life source. And so when we're looking at conflict inside of marriage, and let me just let me pause for what I'm about to say here, because most of us will never experience the degree or level of suffering that Jesus did, and I don't think Jesus would wish that on anybody. And certainly, those of us that have suffered don't wish our suffering on other people. But I, I always feel the need, particularly with the increase in calls to domestic violence centers, I, I feel the need to say this: as we're looking at conflict, and in this third question. You're being asked who you worship. You're being offered the prize for, for, for destiny, for something that's already yours. So each of you have a divine destiny and purpose, and with that comes prizes, it comes blessings, it comes resources, and Satan is trying to get you to get those things without paying the price for those things. And so when we look at the conflict that takes place, because sometimes it's hard, you know. I mean, think about churches today. And, Father, we pray for these churches right now that are depending on tithes and offerings. We are praying for ministries, power ministries that depend on the offerings and the love and the kindness of your people, God. We ask you to give them staying power, God. We plead the blood of Jesus over them, God, that they know their destiny. They know what's been given to them, Father. And we know in the hour of temptation, God, it's not a walk in the park. And so we ask you in the name of Jesus that since there is no temptation but such as is common to man, that at the time of these pastors' temptation and husbands and wives, you would give them a way of escape or you would enable them to endure it, that you would be glorified in the midst of them in Jesus' name. So when we're talking about conflict inside of marriage, let me say this. Jesus never lost his composure or his ability to respond to the Father. He never gave up his identity. That is who he belonged to. Um, he never gave up who he was, and he never served us at the expense of his father. Listen, Jesus' love and affection was to his father. We were the beneficiaries of his obedience. He says, for the joy that was set before him, we were Jesus' joy. He endured. God never required, this is important, God never required Jesus' submission to humanity to include giving another human being control of what he thought 
or how he behaved. Jesus never gave up control of his mind, his will, or his emotions when submitting to man. Jesus confirmed this himself in John 10, 17, and 18. And he says in the message version for clarity, this is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life, and so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my Father, and each one that names the name of Jesus Christ and believes upon him to them, to him or to her, married and unmarried, God gives the authority to become the sons of God, the authority to lay down their life, to take it up again. It is a commandment in another version that Jesus received from his Father. Marriage does not take away the right to govern your life. Notice the Father doesn't love Jesus because he allowed himself to be abused to the point that he doesn't know who he is or that he questions his relationship with the Father. The Father doesn't love Jesus because he gives up his right and his ability to respond to the Father. The Father doesn't love Jesus because he suffers to satisfy a religious vow that steals his body, kills his soul and his ability to think and decide for himself, nor destroys his worship. These things are not from God, but an enemy does this. Jesus says so in John 10.10 when he says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy, steal our bodies, kill our soul, and destroy our worship or our spirit. If you or you know someone that is in a marriage and they're in conflict, it is, the answer is not always to go and just humble yourself and quiet yourself when a person is rendered unable to respond to God. The suffering is not for God. And they need to get help or get out. And I don't know what particular situations arise, but I'm telling you, there is a submission that is not unto God, but is unto man. And Jesus Christ, with the divine reset taking place in marriage, God is setting husbands and wives free so that each one can yield and respond to him and submit to one another and flow in a hierarchy. Watch this. That they, that they can flow in a hierarchy so that they can accomplish together what neither one could accomplish alone. When there is a hierarchy in place that is rigid and fixed and unmovable that does not amount to something greater than either one of them could produce on their, their own, I will tell you that is not a, a hierarchy that God condones. It's religious and it's killing us. So I pray in the divine reset, if you find yourself where your identity, you're questioning your identity in Christ, where you don't feel like you're able to respond to God or worship God, you need to examine that. Ask, you know, check that. Get help. I'm not asking, I don't encourage people to stay in situations where they are unable to respond to God and maintain their composure in the midst of adversity. And that will mean different things to each of us. But I just feel the need to put, put that out there, that in marriages where one spouse 
seizes or takes over the other's ability to think and decide for him or herself, it is not God, nor does it glorify God. God's purpose and plan for our lives does not include sacrificing your relationship with him, your life source, or who you choose to be based on him or your worship of him. He will never ask you to lay those on the altar. And so that said, God's purpose and plan for your life and my life, they do require sacrifice. And those sacrifices look different for each husband and wife. Um, it's, not that, that it's not that husband and wife are going to sacrifice the same thing. It's not about we give up equal things. It's about equal sacrifice. That means it will cost us the same. It will hurt us the same. But, but what it is might be different, and it looks different, and we need to give husbands and wives the freedom to figure that out with themselves based on their divine destiny. And so I just kind of want to uh, wrap up with, with saying this. The third question that, that conflict raises is, who will you worship? In other words, who will husband and wife, uh, uh, who, how will you pursue fulfilling your divine purpose? And are you more interested in the prize that God offers? Or are you more interested in pleasing the person of God? Satan knew he could not separate Jesus from the reason he came to earth. And listen to this. Satan can't separate you from the reason God created you. It is built into you. It's in every molecule of your being. It is, it is to you, it, it's like the nose on your face or the ears or the eyes on your head. It's you. It's part of you. It, it, you reek of this thing. Um, it, 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 so, so Satan couldn't separate Jesus for the reason he was created and the reason that he came to earth. He can't separate you from your purpose, um, but he can get you to bow down and fulfill that purpose your way um, and not God's way. And when he does that, he succeeds in gaining your worship. Um, the best way I can say it is like, you know, Satan, Satan wants you to take the easy route. Well, he wants us to believe that there's no price, that there's no change required, that you can get rich quick, and that, that every divine purpose in, involves wealth. And, you know, we're all wealthy in him. But all of us don't necessarily need material wealth to carry out the purpose and intent for God's life. And so I'm not saying, I don't know who that is. I'm just saying that God supplies according to the purposes for which he's created us and that which we pursue uh, for ourselves. It's like, it's, like, um, it's like, you know, those living room sets where they have these places where you can buy now and pay later. You can buy and you can enjoy it for 18 months, and then at the 18th month you start paying for what you have. Well, you've enjoyed it for 18 months, but when that 18 months comes and that first bill hits, you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? Why did I do that? Listen, there's always a price. You can pay it now or you can pay it later, but there is always a price. And in marital conflict, husbands and wives are being asked. They're being asked to do God's will their own way. Shortcuts that sidestep character and circumvent the process of conforming to Christ. It's the husband or wife who, who let, here's a good example, the husband or wife who has truly has some entrepreneurial skills. That's their passion, that's their heart. 
They see, and early on in their process, they're not developed in it, but they have this desire, sort of like Moses. He knew what his destiny was when he killed the Egyptian for, for, for fighting with the Hebrews. But he also realized he didn't have what it took when now he was faced in the same situation. It was two Hebrew brothers fighting, and he tried to separate and manage that conflict, and he ended up running for his life. Why? Because he clearly had the skills of a deliverer. He proved it. But they were undeveloped. It's the same case with someone who believes that they have entrepreneurial skills. It could be a husband or a wife. But they see every new get-rich opportunity as his or hers and takes the family through recurring financial hardship to the point of digging holes, getting cars repossessed, and all kinds of problems because they are convinced that they're supposed to work for else. They are, they, they are to raise money for the kingdom, and they are, they are entrepreneurs. The problem often isn't money or the desire. They have the right purpose. They have the right desire. It's in them to do that. And it's not a matter of money. They had money. The problem is that how they're using money, it's whether they're in a process or whether they're circumventing a process because your destiny is tied to your stature in the kingdom. That is to say God wants you to grow up as you go up. And oftentimes we want to go up without growing up. And so in this particular family where someone keeps using the family's resources to try this and to try that and the family is suffering, eventually that husband and wife are going to come into conflict. Now, in a religious marriage, that may stay, that, that the wife or husband may seize for a long time, but I guarantee you at some point it's going to explode because this recurring conflict, remember, recurring conflict is not about your circumstances, it's about your character. And so when there's an unwillingness of the husband or wife to accept accountability or direction and develop personally, in relationship to the conflict, the conflict will continue. And so, in wrapping up, I just want to say to you that these three questions, they are happening all the time. You're being asked every day. Your kids ask you. Your husband and wife ask you. Your job ask you. Your pastor ask you. They, I mean, if you learn to hear these questions and what's being asked of you and what's happening, then I tell you, you will change your life significantly. And for, my, for the guys on the phone who... One of my favorite movies is The Matrix, the first Matrix. And at the end of The Matrix, you'll recall when Keanu Reeves was fighting Mr. Uh, oh, I forget the guy's name. Is it Mr. Ant? I can't remember the guy's name. But you know the guy that he was fighting, and the guy and and Keanu Reeves was hitting at everything. I mean, he just he just couldn't keep up with the flurry of things that were coming at him. So much to the point where he ended up dying. And then, if you recall. His, his female counterpart came over and said to him, you know, you cannot die. I love you. I'm, he, she, this is what she said. I'm not afraid anymore. You cannot die. She said, I love you. You cannot die now. Get up. And remember, he got up. And if you go back and play that clip, you'll see Keanu Reeves was not all over the place. He had three moves. It was like up. Uh, down to the side, and he kept doing those same, but he was just in river, and the, the flurry of bullets was coming at the same rate, but Keanu saw, Keanu Reeves, he saw it differently, so he responded differently, and he defeated, and he achieved his purpose, and I say the same to you, husband or wife. If you will see it, 
from God's perspective, the kingdom perspective, and that you're only being asked three questions. And when you get the answers down, just like Keanu Reeves, you won't be all over the place. It'll be just boom, 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 and you too will fulfill your destiny. Well, let's pray in Jesus' name. Father, we just bless you, and we thank you. We thank you that we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Lord, tonight we strip off every weight that has slowed us down as husbands and wives and those that we're standing in the gap with. Lord, and especially sin that so easily trips us up, Father. We thank and we praise you that your word is true. Let every man be a liar, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us, that you are resetting us as a result of the word that we hear and we receive. And, Father, we declare that husbands and wives are running with endurance, the race that God has set before each one of them. Lord, they're doing this by keeping their eyes on Jesus, the champion of their faith, who initiates and sustains their faith even through the Holy Spirit. Father, because of the joy that was awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And, Lord, now he is seated in the place of honor beside you, O God. Lord, we thank you, Lord. And, and just, Lord, we just observe, even through the temptations, God, of Christ, Lord, the hostility he endured from Satan and even sinful people. Lord, that he didn't give up or become weary, lose his composure. Lord, change his, Lord, a, a worship affiliation, his affections for you, God. He didn't change his identity, God. He didn't pretend, God. He didn't lose composure, God, but he buckled down and knuckled down, God, and gave himself fully to the struggle, God, until you delivered him, God, and gave him the keys of death, Father. We thank you and we praise you, God. And we don't forget your words tonight, God. For you speak to us even as children tonight, God, and you said, Lord, that we ought not to take your discipline lightly, God, and that we ought not give up, God, even when we're tempted or corrected or disciplined by you, God. For you discipline those you love, and you, and, and you punish each one, even, Lord, even those that you accept as your children, Father. So we thank you tonight, God, for giving us a different take on conflict. Conflict, Father. We thank you that it not come to destroy us, God, but it's come to expose those parts that are out of alignment with you and giving us the opportunity to align, Lord, and reaffirm that we belong to you in body. Lord, to just realign and affirm to you, O oh God, that we look unto you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, God, that our significance is in you, God. Lord, we lay down our ministry. We lay down our work. We lay down everything, God, that we have, Lord, taken, Lord, significance from, God, and we cast it at your feet tonight, God. For you said, cast your cares upon you, for you care for us, Father. And if we cast our bread upon the waters after many days, we will find it. So, Father God, I pray tonight that husbands and wives will have a special grace, Lord, to cast the bread of their substance, to cast, Lord, those things that they have deemed significant, God, to cast their bread upon the waters and after many days give it back to them, God, purified and holy, God, that they might grow and go and multiply, God, even as they fulfill their destiny, God. Lord, you ask Abraham for Isaac. You gave Abraham Isaac, God, and you also ask for 
for Isaac back, God, so I know that I'm in your word when I say, God, that husbands and wives, as they cast their bread upon the waters, God, Lord, that you would give it back to them even as you gave Isaac back to Abraham, God. Give husbands and wives the audacity of faith to risk faith. And even as we are in this crisis of coronavirus, God, I pray what was intended to destroy will now be used to establish your people, God. Those that have lost jobs will get better jobs because they are perfectly aligned with you, God. Lord, that they are perfectly aligned with your will and your way, God. That they are seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, your justice, God. And that you are adding everything they have need of, God. I thank you tonight that the righteous have never been forsaken, nor have has their seed been found begging bread, and not one of your righteous ones tonight will beg bread during this crisis, God, that the church will grow in love, God, that you will open our eyes to areas and places of need, God, that your church will come alive and rise up like never before, and Lord, we just thank you for restoring marriage to the body of Christ. Now, Lord, take a battering ram to religious marriage, God, and man-made institutions that seek to glorify themselves, God. Lord, I pray, God, that even as the body of Christ was destroyed and after three days you raised it again, God, so destroy the institution of marriage and raise it up again after your own heart. God, and I thank you that you've given me a scepter of righteousness tonight, God, for your kingdom is ruled by a scepter of righteousness. And so, Father God, we just extend your scepter tonight to every husband and wife, and we declare your will be done in them, even as is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I didn't mention at the front of the call, for those of you still on the call, one of the things we want to do for the remainder of the time that that uh, our president has asked us to self-quarantine every night from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., we will be on this call to receive husbands or wives that want to pray uh, or want their marriages prayed for. We will pray for their marriages. Uh, we will, uh, it's not about exposing people. We won't ask you to expose and all that stuff. May ask you a couple questions just so that we can pray clearly and accurately. And if you want to go beyond that or you know of husbands and wives that, that need coaching, you know, one of the things you can do is be a blessing to them. You could pay for coaching. You could pay for a session or two. So there are lots of things that we want to be able to be available. We are going to the states and are declaring kingdom marriage and some of the things you've heard tonight. But every night from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., some of us will be on the call to receive husbands and wives that need prayers from the throne of God. We need the word of God spoken in their marriage because God watches over his word to perform it where it is spoken. Well, tonight, if you want to hear this call or any other call again, you can go to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And in the search bar, you would simply uh, type in Marriage Reform with Kim Moore, and all of these will come up. We'll have this one posted later tonight. If, in fact, your preference is to dial back in, and just listen to the replay through this line, you can do so by calling 605-475-4980. And then you would enter the access code 341000-POUND. And then you would enter the reference code 92 pounds.
So again, you can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever your podcast comes, or you can dial in and hear this call again. Hey, if you got something out of this message, hit me up on Facebook and let me know uh, and share share this. We need fresh revelation in marriage, and we believe that God has made this uh, this call, this assignment, this work, this group of people an answer in the time of need. Well, we bless you. We thank you so much for joining us. Amy, I don't know if I've forgotten anything. Um, if you want to star six and let me know before we jump off. No, I think you've got everything. Um, if there are people who, like like we said, um, will be available every night from 9 to 10 for calls for anyone who needs prayer. And if you cannot call in and but you do need prayer, you can also get on Kim Moore Ministries' Facebook page and just private message whatever you need prayed for, and we'll make sure it's covered in prayer. All right. Well, you heard it. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate your prayers when we're offline. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, again, as I say always, we can't do it without you. And I sincerely, I sincerely appreciate your time tonight. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.